Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you're familiar with the sound of jet engines spooling up, getting ready for takeoff? Judd is making those noises right now. <laughs> I don't know about that. After last night, game two, I basically melted down after that. By now, you know what, Kenny? It's just going to be over soon. You're a beaten man. Yes, exactly. The first pitch. <laughs> just over. Kickoff. Tip time. Puck drop. The green flag. Teeing off. Becky and Judd are on the air. Getting things started with something we like to call the opening bell. Right back in though for Shifley. For Kyle Connor. Connor for Shifley. Scores! Mark Shifley. Neutral zone turnover. And the Jets turn it right back into the Minnesota zone. Great job to stay on side. And Mark Shifley second of the playoffs here late in period one. Has the Jets in front. one nothing. Stall is parked. In the high slot, he was knocked down by Morrissey. And is slow in getting up. Brodeen gets it over for Dumba. Back up for Brodeen. He'll get it up. Dumba down into the corner. And you can see Stahl is ailing up there. He's going to head to the bench while play continues. All right, where would you like to start? I would... uh, First of all, the Zach Parisi news came out after our show was over and then... Right after, huh? Yeah, and then and then while losing, obviously, where do you want to start? I would like to start with the uh, with the highlight that you just played of the cross check last night uh, by Josh Morrissey on Eric Stahl, and we have Boudreaux audio. If okay, you want play that. that. Okay, yes. thank you. My take is it the same take that everybody in the building saw it as the refs looked at it and they decided not to call it because uh, we were already on the power play. It cost us the game. Nino has a breakaway. It's Morrissey that breaks it up. He should be out of the game, uh, you know. I can't believe uh, still uh, a little heated about it, but i got to watch what I say. Uh, no, but don't. they were looking right at it, and they told us they didn't see it, so you you make up your minds. All right, so let me make this very clear. The Wild scored zero goals last night. That did not it, that did not cost them the game, all right? They cost themselves the game by not scoring. You're saying the cross-check didn't cost Yes, I'm saying okay. that Boudreaux scoring is wrong. Scoring the zero goals Boudreaux, absolutely cost Boudreaux them the game. is wrong. The non-call did not cost the Wild that game. The fact that they could not put the puck in the net cost them the game and is why they are now down 3-1 going into Friday's Game 5 in Winnipeg. But that being said, that being said, Steve Kazari and Brian Pakmara, I believe are the two names of your refs last night. These two idiots to have missed that call is beyond ridiculous. This is, once again, I go through a, a litany of things, and I've everyone knows I love the sport, but I go through a litany of, of reasons why people don't take the sport seriously. 
to miss that call, to have two guys miss that call. You have a second ref now because you needed another a set of eyes on the ice that you got out there years ago to get calls like this right. In the course of a power play, when all of the action is at one end, this is not Stahl being cheap-shotted down the ice behind the play. This is everything is in front of everybody. And for that call not to be made, that is, I, I guarantee you that, that Morrissey's going to be suspended for probably two games today, if not three games. The Stahl said he basically immediately or at some point got an apology from these jokers. So they either saw it on replay, but to miss that call is egregious, it's embarrassing, it's indefensible, it's why everybody who laughs at my sport, I can't turn around and say, shut up, because it's calls like that being missed that make it justified to say your sport is a joke at times. Yeah, and you know where, where, be missed. where, the, where the NBA actually, I know pe- people don't love reviews, uh, oftentimes you know, reviews bog down games, where the NBA actually gets it right, yeah, Dave hates reviews, but if in the middle of the court, if if let's let's just use the the Timberwolves and the uh, the Rockets. Like if James Harden is crossing half court, and Gorgie Jang comes up and clotheslines him across the neck and drops him to the wood, and everyone in the arena sees it, but somehow like the refs don't see it. If a ref even kind of thinks, oh man, like this something clearly happened here, they can go to the monitor and review for a flagrant one or a flagrant two, right? Yep. Like they can just go review it. Yep. And if they go back and look at the monitor and say, oh, man, that was I can't believe we didn't catch that live. That was way worse than we thought. This guy is out of the game. We're going to eject this guy after a review. Absolutely. So why in hockey can't you can't why can't. But I mean, obviously, see it on the first. Right. Run, but my question right? is, how, how do you miss it? But if you don't like, why isn't there a system in place? Someone took someone took now someone took a weapon now, across another guy's face in the middle of the ice and 19,000 people saw it. Now this is not ideal and I think you're going to completely disagree with me on this, but here's my contention of what should have happened immediately. Because people saw it. It's not like nobody saw it. I don't know how the referees missed it. But when you have your a top goal scorer and one of your top players take a cross check in the neck that sends him to the ice and he stays down if, if you go back and watch it he stays down he gets up and he looks completely dazed and I'm sure he was you had a you had five guys you, you had four guys besides stall on the, the ice including Dumba when you see that this is as opposed to the end of game two, where you're going to be the tough guy, right? We're going to be tough guys because we're getting our butts kicked. And by the way, the Jets in game two were playing a physical but fairly clean game. So that was stupid. For a guy like Dumba not to go grab this guy and immediately confront him is ridiculous on two things. One is that that is if you're going to start fighting at the end of game two, if there's ever a time to actually confront an opponent when he cross checks your best player, that's it. And to your to your point, Phil, here's the other thing: these referees were such bozos that if Dumba had gone, or if you had had a player go and confront Morrissey immediately and stop that play, guess what? The referees are gutless. They're going to give the guy who confronts him a penalty. They're going to give Morrissey a penalty. And there's a very good chance a linesman who can't make that call on the ice is going to tell the referee that Morrissey was just jumped because he delivered a cross-check to stall. If somebody had confronted Morrissey and stopped that play immediately, these bozos probably would, would have had a chance to get the call right. 
So this was a perfect example of where confrontation makes some sense. So I don't disagree with anything you just said, but two things off that. Number one, if that's what has to happen it for, for a call it, to be correct, it that's is. so stupid. I don't disagree, but I'm telling you it would have given you it would have given these idiots a chance to get the call it's right. It's like lowest common denominator, just idiot. It's 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 so stupid. But secondly, okay, they had two and a half hours to score a goal oh, last yeah. night. Yes. And and I'm going to so I'm going to roll up my sleeves here. I'm literally rolling up my sleeves. I like it. And I'm going to present something to you. I'm going to present process to you. It's not just you got to score a goal. I'm going to give you process here. High danger scoring chances, all right? In hockey, they classify yep. there's actually heat maps if you go to the right websites that'll show you. And I like to follow some of the stuff when I watch games. It'll show you where teams are getting their shots on goal from, where some of the action is taking place uh, in the offensive zones. And in this series so far, the goals scored, if my math is right, pretty even. The Jets have a 3-1 lead in the series, but the Jets only have two more goals in the series than the Wild. Because the Wild had six goals in Game 3. Right. So like their, their barrage came in Game 3. But... The high danger scoring chances last night were twelve to four in favor of the Jets and and thirty five to nineteen in favor of the Jets. Mm-hmm. This series isn't being lost because of a missed cross check penalty. No, it's not being lost because of uh, you know because of like the ref screwing the Wild over or uh, the the series is being lost because the Jets are getting to more advantageous places in the offensive zone than the Wild, which actually wasn't the trend in the regular season. The Wild were pretty good about getting to places on the ice. They, they weren't among the league leaders in shots on goal. In fact, they were second to last in possession in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But during the regular season, the Wild were actually pretty good at cashing in on offensive chances. And in this series, they've been completely unable to get to places where they're even threatening the opposing goaltender the mi- outside of Game 3. The missed cross-check is embarrassing. That's it. It's embarrassing. You, you have process. Let me bring you some sample size of three of my favorite players. I've got some sample size this morning, boys, of three of my favorite players who, by the way, with Parisi out, there is no question that these three had to do something last night. And as we know, the Wild scored zero goals. Charlie Coyle. I'm going to give you uh, the statistics for the three players that we talked about yesterday in the past three playoffs at least. So the past three playoffs are now first-round ouster uh, by Dallas, First round ouster by St. Louis, and now you're down three to one, and you're about to be eliminated by the Winnipeg Jets. Charlie Coyle, in that time, which is 15 playoff games, has three goals. And in fact, in 43 playoff games, he's at seven goals. But let's just keep in mind. So the past three playoff series, when when we when we basically said Four, five years back, this team is coming of age. These young players, these young players are going to develop. Charlie Coyle now is at three goals in 15 games. Jason Zucker. That might be better than his regular season average, actually. Jason Zucker. Which is is sad. 30-plus goals this year. I believe he had 22 last year. Past three playoff series, 15 games as well, is stuck at one goal. Before that, he had three goals in 15 games. So a guy who now has come into his own, at least in the regular season, and is known for his goal scoring, is at four goals in 30 playoff games. But more importantly, in the past 15, he's at one. And Nino Niederreiter, in your past three playoff series for him, is stuck at the exact same thing as Jason Zucker. One goal in 15 games. That, my friend, is enough of a sample size to say these guys that you expected to come of age and be able to lift you up 
have fallen woefully yeah. short. For the, for the record, like I don't just I don't, I don't even just like your premise that the best players have to do something in order for you to win. Like that wasn't what I disagreed with yesterday. I just was pointing out your general negativity and that you would have found you would have found someone to rip on after them right, but, winning a game six to two. But this and is it a, just happened to be like those three guys. But this that is you were a problem. But this is a problem. Of course, Jason Zucker and that. Nino having one goal, having two goals combined in thirty playoff games, and Coyle contributing three in fifteen games is not anywhere near sufficient enough for a group of players who we said four years back, this yeah. is this is going to be part of your core for what could be successful Stanley Cup playoff runs, which we actually talked about with the with the linchpins at that time being Parisi and Suter. Well, okay, this this is a good transition because I mean ultimately it's the same playoff series time and time again. I mean they have sprinkled in a couple playoff series wins. The a few years ago we're always gonna have that Colorado game seven where uh, where the Wild, you know, they, they won their first playoff series in this in this current era of Wild hockey. That was great. But almost every other series results in the same thing. They can't get to the places in the offensive zone that they want to. Uh, they get out-possessed. They get out-skilled, out-chanced, and all those things. And I have a theory on this. I want to make a comparison when we come back and uh, and get your thoughts on it. And you know what? We already have David on the line. Let's open up the wild vent lines here before we talk some wolves with Johnny K at 9.30. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Wild vent lines are open. They're on life support. No Parisi, no suitor, which is actually maybe symbolic, the closing of a window without those guys even on the ice. Might be time to call it. Well, we can talk about that Time too. of hockey death, you can call it. So Johnny K on wolves at 9.30. Lou Nanny at 10 o'clock. B.J. Armstrong, NBA agent. He's the agent for Draymond Green, also for Derrick Rose, So and played on championship teams in the 90s with the Bulls. Has a new podcast on Podcast One. We'll catch up with B.J. Armstrong at 11 o'clock. Dan Hayes on Twins from Puerto Rico. A loaded show. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Ready or not. On 1500 ESPN. My take is it the same take that everybody in the building saw it as the refs looked at it and they decided not to call it because... Uh, we were already on the power play. Cost us the game. All right. Can we just simply uh, agree? I, I already am getting tweets and notes back about uh, saying, well, it's a terrible non-call and it did cost them the, the, the game or saying it didn't. It did not cost them. It did not. That non-call did not cost the Wild the game. They didn't score. They had a full game to score. Yeah, you have permission that, to score three That goals. being said, you also have permission to be upset by the fact that if you, you love the sport like I do, it's embarrassing when when they are now calling consistently small little chops to the hand as penalties that they don't call what qualifies as an assault on a person a penalty. So there's two different things here, okay? Is it true that only— if That's an assault. What the guy did is an assault. Is it true that— of all the of all the officials on the ice, that only the guy with the uh, the two, orange around two guys. his right, but like only only yes. only guy with orange around his arm can make that call. Yes, like what if I'm in the corner and I? That's why. Like, oh man, that was pretty vicious. That's that's why I can said, you go skate to the other guy and say, hey, that was pretty blatant. Well, we you've should got call it. four officials to make penalty calls. Linesmen can call things like too many men on the ice, but they can't call that. That's why I said if somebody in sport, dude, it's so I know it is, and that's what I said. As illogical as this might sound, 
if a teammate had gone and confront, if a wild player had gone and confronted Morrissey immediately, I think the linesman would have said he did it because of this. And then these Yahoo officials who somehow missed this would have likely given Morrissey another penalty. So you would have benefited from an immediate altercation. And why is it about your sport, not to rip hockey, but let's no, keep fine. doing it. Yeah, go ahead. Especially okay. on the penalty kill, but even five on five, I think it stands pretty well. Why in front of the goal does anything go? You can't cross-check in the middle of the ice, but if you're a defenseman and you have a you know a big forward of the other team standing in front of you, you can deliver a nice cross-check to the back anytime you want and it's never called. They've tried to clean that up more and more, but the problem, the pro, the the basic premise, the problem here is this. Every night, the inconsistency is mind-boggling. Like, there's no consistency. And so you'll get... they They spent this whole year... I'm telling you guys, they spent this whole year trying to clean up if if you are going, if you have the puck and I slash your hands, and I mean if I tap your hands, they said that's a penalty. It, Which is, sh- it, it should be because and, because it, it bogs. Well, it's like hand and, checking in basketball. And, like, and, get rid of it. And more power plays is a good thing because you want more goals. And they did that emphasizing with hooking about five, ten years ago, right? Correct. So until if, they opened up a team in Vegas, and now it's all legal. <laughs> but if you're going to call that, how does the assault of another of a person in front of the goal not get called? And what's going and what's going to drive you nuts today is I guarantee you the league's going to suspend Morrissey for about two or three games. And so you got nothing. You didn't get a call. You he should have got a five minute match penalty and a game ejection. Boudreaux's right about that. Are we sure they would have scored on the five on three? No. No, but at least... That's my question about this team. (laughs) But at least... got a couple shots. Yeah. I'm much more upset about the fact that these idiots got the call wrong, and it's a further embarrassment to a sport that doesn't need more embarrassments. Uh, Here's my quick theory. Actually, you know what? Let's go to the the wild vent lines, and then I'll give you my theory here. All right. 651-646-8255. David, you're on with Mackie and Judd. Judd, they didn't get the call wrong. They didn't miss the call. They elected to ignore the penalty. So there's a, there's a difference between that. The, the officials are often said to not want to influence a, a playoff game with officiating. And so they put their finger on the scale in the opposite direction. This is not a missed call. This is a judgment. They decided they didn't care. They decided they didn't want to, quote-unquote, alter the outcome by giving a five-on-three penalty. It's not a missed call. And then, of course, to piggyback off David's point, thank you for the call, David. If you're if if you're the Jets and you sense that, you know what? It's pretty unlikely that these refs are going to want to make it a five on three. Then you can get away with things. You can make it a lot easier to thwart a five on four. Yeah, you Boudreaux, can make it a lot easier. In, in Boudreaux's um, post game comments, right away afterwards, he ba- he said the same thing that the caller just said which is really, really inflammatory. And then he came back and said they told us they didn't see it. I can't believe, as gutless and dumb as these guys might be, I can't believe that they would see a cross-check to the neck and not call at least a penalty a minor. I can't buy that. You know what I didn't see? It's way too egregious. In the last six minutes of the game, maybe eight to ten minutes of the game, I didn't see the Wild get any meaningful chances. Well, well and the Jets too, like. Yes, and the Jets do a great job of tying th- things up and slowing the game down. They they did a fantastic job. And the Wild lost because of that. Uh but to the caller's point, I can't believe that if they saw that they wouldn't at least call some type of penalty. Wild vent line continues 651-646-8255. RJ, what's up? Oh, hey guys. <laughs> the deep side. RJ, you okay? 
Uh, you know, ap- apathy, Judd. Apathy is set in. That's um, a bad thing for a, the Wild. A couple of things uh, that I'll let you unpack. Um, I'll, I'll touch briefly on the penalty. I think the outrage is that Morrissey assisted on the subsequent goal and then broke up two plays later that, you know, they may or may not have happened if he was in the game or if he wasn't. But that's, I mean, the evidence speaks for itself that he, for having not even had to have been in the game, assisted on the on the goal that ultimately won the game. One shift um, later, yes. Excuse, that doesn't excuse the Wild for not scoring at all. Mm-hmm. Um which brings me to my next point, that this this team's, based on the contracts that they have, this team's descent into decrepitude is going to be long and agonizing, and it's going to be absolutely horrific to watch. Last point, they are 4-15 and 15 in their last 19 playoff games. Yep. They didn't – that missed call last night had nothing to do with the last 19 games that they played in. They are not good enough to overcome these kind, this kind of adversity. And last night we saw that they had an opportunity to respond. They got shut out at home. I, I don't know what their play, their record is at home the last three or four playoff seasons, but it's below 500. Mm-hmm. And that's just mere, that's just simply not good enough. I'll hang up and listen. RJ with a great segue into into my point. The this six year run for the Minnesota Wild did, it is it is an absolute reflection of the Ron Gardenhire twins. Did RJ use the phrase descent into decrepitude? I think he did. That was I fa- that. RJ, that was fantastic. That was really good. Hold on. Let's What does decrepitude even mean? Oh, I think it means you're going to get crappy. Decrepitude. I I think it I think it would read well, whether in, it's a word or not. We know it, is what it a word. means. In process of getting crappy, I think is what it means, and that's a great phrase, RJ. The state, well, it's this is a great definition. It's the state of being decrepit. Okay. He had passed directly from middle age into decrepitude. I love our listeners, and I'm not being a smart aleck. It was it was used apparently according to Google the word was used quite often in the 1800s and usage has dipped off considerably since then Until although it's now. on the rise it's on the rise since 2010. Let's bring it back. So decrepitude the use of decrepitude is on the rise. Descent into decrepitude. Okay, back if, to your point. If if the Wild were a major league pitching rotation They'd be made up of all Scott Bakers and Carl Pavanos, which which might be good enough to get you to the playoffs on a regular basis. Like the Twins, the Twins post Johan went to the playoffs. They went to a game one sixty three in two thousand eight. They went to they went to series in two thousand nine and two thousand ten. So they actually went to they went to postseason twice post Johan. Let's say Johan was their Sidney Crosby, which the Wild have never had. Obviously, um, you can get to the playoffs, especially in a league where half the teams make it. If your number one starter is Scott Baker, if your number two starter, if you just have a bunch of Carl Pavanos, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you get to the postseason and all the other teams that you feast on are out and you're just facing, let's go back to the pitching analogy, you're just facing ace caliber starters, top line centers, right? Top line goaltenders, top five, top ten goaltenders. It's just a lot harder to win four games out of seven. I mean, that's when I watch this team, I think, Really, like, regular season formula works. Like, for the most part, they have a bunch of really solid players. Miko Koivu is a good, solid two-way player. And Zach Parisi is a blue-collar And Zucker scored 32 goals or 33 and, and, goals. And Zucker pops up. Uh, but but ultimately, yeah. when you get to these matchups against teams with top-end first- and second-line talent yep. and top goaltenders, are you going in? are you going into any of these games with the favored pitcher, so to speak? And the answer is no. For and, years, the answer is no with this team. And you thought you were a year ago against the Blues, 
because you, you had that great year and you got ousted in what five games. I think what I think it's time to acknowledge something and and this hurts to say because the day itself was so great and so much fun, but I think it's time to acknowledge that the the plan put forth and submitted to a fan base that completely bought in on July 4th, 2012 is now dead. And that was that Parisi and Suter were going to be the key cogs to not just a playoff team, but a Stanley Cup team. And that by this point in time, either in the last couple of years or by this year, certainly, you were going to be going down West 7th Street, right past Tom Reed's with the Stanley Cup in the back of a convertible. And Zucker and Parisi were going to be in the lead car waving to the fans. And that that the supporting cast that that you and I both got Carly so, would be up there waving oh, as well yeah. with Kyle. Yeah, they'd be going on yeah. different stations, probably not ours. And they'd be waving to the crowd, and they'd have and and the group of players that we got so excited about in that AB series, and we did, and we were I think right to at the time. But Nino, what in game uh, seven of that series scored the OT winning goal, and Zucker was e- emerging eventually in Grandland. And we thought to ourselves, okay, you've got these two absolute key 13-year contract players signed for huge amounts. But if it gets you a cup or two, it's worth it. And now you've got the supporting cast that's going to help them uh, help them lead this team to a Stanley Cup. I think what we need to admit to ourselves now is that's dead. Because you're, if I'm not mistaken, you are now going to be, with both of them hurt, by the way, you are, when this playoff run is done, probably on Friday, you're going to be six years in. And you have gotten as far as the second round a couple times, and that's it. You packed a lot of arenas, but unfortunately, sold-out arenas is really the biggest accomplishment for the last what six years. What band are they, then? I mean, Bon Jovi packs arenas still. They just can't hit the high notes? Kesha packs arenas, they right? They hold their hockey I've never been to a out. Kesha concert, but... I, I don't know, but... Yeah, I mean, I... It's... There's other ways to pack an arena. <laughs> Say it, like... <laughs> pack an arena. I mean, they packed arenas for six years, that's... That's that's yeah. the peak. Like that's it. But it is unless they come back. But it's it's done now. I mean, it, it's this is not to say that Suter and Parisi can't contribute and still be good players. But what we thought was going to be the end result on July fourth, two thousand twelve, I think we now need to acknowledge to ourselves in the form that we saw it happening is never going to happen. John Krasinski from the Athletic from Houston will talk Wolves and Rockets. Lou Nanny at the top of the hour. But Judd here for Prime Mortgage. Fire away. Thank you, Phil. And and I will tell you something that does work. And, and if you're looking for a mortgage company, what does work is my friends at Prime and Kent McCullough. And I'm going to tell you why. This isn't about simply selling you on something. Prime wants to earn your trust first. In fact, they would rather earn that trust than sell you a loan. And now you're saying to yourself... What does that mean exactly? It means while Prime would love to have you as a client, they want to meet with you first and explain that plan. The decision is then up to you. That's because this is about a couple of key things. It's about teamwork. It's about collaboration. That's what Prime is all about. It's what they believe in. And if you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. For instance, Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process for you. Did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing cost? Not just include them in your loan, but actually pay them for you. Once again, as I said, if you sit down with Kent and the folks at Prime, it's about teamwork, it's about collaboration. The website, goprimewithkent.com, goprimewithkent.com, goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. Krasinski on the Wolves next on Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie. That little uh, dweeby-looking kid. Judd Zolgad. He needs a cocktail in a hot tub or something. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Mackie and Judd. Little, little... 
half-hour event session there about the Minnesota Wild. We'll see what happens in, in Game 5. Oh. Let's switch our attention over to another series that might end quickly. <laughs> we might be done with our winter sports playoffs here in What's about game four? five days. Tuesday? You know, luckily, the NBA series are stretched out so much. We have nine days between games. Although it allows guys like Johnny Krasinski to uh, to finally travel their way to Houston through blizzard conditions. Oh, Claire's beautiful. That's what I hear this time. It really is. Were you in like a Motel 6 watching uh, game one there, Johnny? What happened? Yeah, no, I was in the, the beautiful Metropolis Resort uh, in wow, Eau Claire. Wow, dude. Yeah. Had wow. City, you know, had a water park, had laser tag, all sorts of great bells and whistles. So I've was, driven you know, by I that place. Had more, t- more fun. I've so. driven by that place 150 times in my life. I've always wondered what, oh. what Metropolis is like. Yeah. Yeah, it's Shangri-La, you know. Um I would I, I probably would bring my kids there sometime. There's a ton of stuff to do, especially in the winter. But, uh, you know, it, it, my, my mindset as I was sitting down to watch game one of a playoff series I should have been at was not in the, not in the right frame to enjoy all the trappings that they had to offer. So it starts snowing. Did, did you attempt to drive to, like, Madison to fly out? Or how, how did, did you end up in the beautiful town of Eau Claire, Wisconsin? So flights canceled Saturday and Sunday. On Sunday morning, there was a flight that opened up in Eau Claire at 1.30 p.m. That would have gotten me to game one before tip-off. Okay. Um, and so I started driving. And I said, okay, I can make this. Let's go. And I got a little bit past Hudson, and uh, that flight was canceled. And then there was oh. bad weather in Milwaukee and Madison, too. So. There was no real way to, to get anywhere, and the earliest flight to Houston on Monday was in Eau Claire, not in Minneapolis. So I ended up just spending the night there and um, hitting up a BW3 and, and you know, just wallowing in self-pity. Yeah. Oh, man. Like all of us on that drive, by the way. It could be any context. It's a, it's a... It is. It's a, it's, a, it's a drive of despair. There's no question about it. <laughs> so Johnny Johnny Krasinski from The Athletic, and you can find uh, all of his stuff at theathletic.com slash NBA is a good place to find not only Johnny's stuff, but all of the NBA playoff coverage. I think uh, we've, we've exhausted multiple segments on Carl Anthony Towns or or coaching slash teammates. Why, why was he only... Uh, able to shoot nine times in that game. Now that you've had some 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 time to digest Game One, you know what what will it take to get Towns more involved? Is the team aware of mismatch gate, which was pointed out by Charles Barkley uh, all throughout the game? What are your thoughts on all of it? Yeah, so I mean, we were at practice yesterday, and that was obviously the uh, the kind of big storyline and the and the line of questioning for for Tibbs and Teague and Butler and Towns and all these guys, and so we. We had those conversations. Uh, this has been a season-long issue in terms of how much of it is Carl Anthony Towns not being as active as he needs to be and not doing the work before uh, the ball gets to him to establish the right position and 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 give give uh, his guards a big target to to entry pass all of those things and how much of it is scheme and 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 all of that and so. Um, you know, I thought it was really interesting because after game one and in the press conferences afterward, Tibbs kind of brought up the same line of uh, criticism that he's had of Towns before the season in that he's got to be more active, he's got to run the floor, he's got to repost and work harder to uh, establish himself and, and, and give himself a chance. 
offensively. I, then uh, yesterday, Tibbs' kind of line of logic and reasoning shifted. I mean, he was much more in the mode of, well, hey, uh, we were taking advantage, advantage of switches, but we were just using it with Teague on the big as opposed to Towns on the small. That was where we were focused on. And, oh, by the way, we lost by three points to the top-seeded team that won 65 games and is the favorite to go to the NBA Finals. So, uh, so he was basically saying, look, it, this, was, this worked. And, 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 and so this was a strategy that, that, that was fruitful. Towns, just like game one, uh, was very much sending the message that this was the game plan, that you know it wasn't him – with effort or energy-wise, this was the game plan that he was asked to do, which is float to the corners, space the floor, and give te- give other teams room to operate. Now, so you, you get all that mixed in with then Jeff Teague comes in and as honest as he always is, says, look, we have to get the ball to cap more. Like, that's just, that just has to happen or else we're playing right into the, into the Rockets' hands. And so uh, Teague has always been the truth teller of the group. I mean, some of the other guys will – spin things the way they, they think it will be presented uh, the best in the media, but but Teague doesn't care. He'll he'll say whatever he feels like. And so I thought that was the most telling with Teague just saying, look, this is our best offensive player. We have to get him the ball or else this is going to be a short series. So, Johnny, why don't they then? I mean, it, it doesn't seem that tough. Well, yeah, you know, you're right. And so I my, my only thinking on why they don't in this series or why they didn't is that their initial plan was to have Towns at the three-point line because he's their best three-point shooter. Yep. And so they don't have a lot of, of gunners on this team. And so if they have any chance of even remotely keeping up with their prolific three-point shooting rockets, they got to have Towns hit five threes in a game or more, ideally, to – close that gap in the two versus three math problem that they face. Now, clearly, as they were in the middle of that, it became abundantly clear that the Rockets were doing everything they could to take Towns away and, and, and force Jeff Teague and Derrick Rose and, and, and others to beat them. And, and so I do expect that there will be at least a slightly different approach in game two just now knowing how the Rockets are going to attack them and trying to exploit mismatches a little different way because you're right. I mean, look, he's he, he, Anthony Davis never goes in a game and gets nine shots like ever, and and the opposing defense always keys on him. So you have to find a way to get your best offensive player the ball and let him shoot because he's remarkably efficient at doing it. So, Johnny, now, now that we're seeing this, I mean, this is you get to the playoffs and the NBA coaching chess match ramps up. And uh, and it's just much more intense, and you're going to face the same team multiple times. How would you rate Tom Thibodeau as a chess player now compared to maybe his time with the Bulls? Well, yeah, I, I think that this series is going to tell us a lot about it. We have to see what happens in Game Two and Three here, and how you know how you adjust and how you don't. Um, you know, one of the keys that great coaches bring to the table in in these series is sometimes. The, the, the biggest decision is not to adjust. You know, when do I change things up and when do I keep going with things and just say we got to execute a little bit better? And if, if you panic and do, you know, you reinvent the wheel in, in between every game, then I think you instill a, a sense of confusion in your team. And so it's going to be up to Tibbs to really decide how, how drastic the adjustments are or does he just do a few tweaks 
here and there. But I will say, like, during the regular season, I, you know, Tibbs was really advertised as an X's and O's savant. And um, I don't know that necessarily that's been the case. I mean, certainly defensively, he hasn't been able to, to do the things that need to be done to get this team playing at a high level and locked in. Offensively, they have really good numbers. But in kind of late game situations, out of timeouts, getting last shots and things like that, it hasn't always been great. So um, I, I do think that he, there, there remains something to be desired in that area. And so uh, they're going to need him to really push the right buttons in the series when you are facing an opponent that is you know, more talented, you know, stronger veteran team that is favored you're going to have to pull out some tricks and, and, and do that. And so, um, like Carlin St. Town said yesterday, it's, it's, it's a chess match now, not a checkers game. And they're going to need Tibbs to, to, to come up with the right situations and, and, and make some of the right calls. As great as Butler uh, can be, Johnny, uh, what do the, the Wolves have to do as a team uh, to get him in late-game situations to recognize that if Jeff Teague is open, he should pass the ball? Yeah, I, I think especially in games, Judd, where he's not playing particularly well offensively. I mean, whether it's that wrist that is bothering was bothering him, or 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 the Rockets' defense, which is very good, or or some other combination of things. Jimmy Butler wasn't kind of the dominant offensive player that that we've used we're used to seeing from him, and so you know, in the in that situation, in that context when he, he doesn't have 30 points and he's not really feeling it, to take the turnaround, uh, you know, contested, fall-away three-pointer that was actually a two-pointer was a tremendous mistake. And, and Butler said yesterday that he, he has to do a better job, but he also didn't say that, I'm, you know, next time I'm going to pass that ball. Uh, he said that next time I'm going to make sure I get a better look. So one thing that has happened a lot this season for the Wolves is they become too predictable in end game scenarios where you know you know that Jimmy Butler is taking that shot. And so I do think that he has to be cognizant of how his shot is feeling, how his body is feeling. And if he doesn't think that he's gonna get a good look and he's gonna force it, he's gotta find somebody else to uh to take it because that's just uh the degree of difficulty there is just too high. I have John Krasinski with us from The Athletic. I feel like the Timberwolves are such an exceptional collection of talent that doesn't fit together perfectly, but even more so than that, it doesn't feel like the Wolves, very often anyways, are playing to make each other better, John. It it, it almost feels like when they come together as a team, it's it's very intermittent and it's very infrequent, and, and you mentioned the great offensive numbers. I mean, they're like one of the top five offensive teams in the league but it just feels like it's a collection of Herculean individual efforts. Uh, is, am I off on that? What do you think? Well, I, I do think that the way that they've run the offense this year and kind of the pick-and-roll heavy um, kind, of, kind of sets with, with not as much movement away from the ball and, and weak side cuts and things like that, You know, it, it's not the Golden State Warriors. It's not the Portland Trail Blazers, you know, the – kind of the cutting and the moving and the San Antonio Spurs and, you know, kind of the, the beautiful game style of approach. It isn't, that's for sure. I will say that the Rockets are also ISO heavy, but they're just so much more effective in the way they do things with Harden and Paul and Capella. And they just play together off of each other and read each other much better than the Wolves do. I mean, uh, that has been something that the Wolves have dealt with for much of the season is 
you know, how do they how do they play together? How do they kind of summon the the teamwork and the symmetry and the seamlessness that you need in playoff games like this against a, a team that's better than you? And I thought, you know, in general, uh, you know, even though it was a grind, I thought they played really well in game one in terms of being able to keep it close and come down the stretch, even though you didn't get much from Cat and Jimmy. So I think there's bright spots to be looked at there. Uh, but there's no doubt that uh, that this has never been a team that has played like, uh, you know, like a two hands that are totally interlocked with the fingers. I mean, they, they have their own situations, and they kind of they, they stray from, from that, uh, from each other, and, and don't play together sometimes. And so that's something that you know if you're going to keep this core together going into next season and into the next few years you hope that that is addressed and and that picks up is harden traveling or are you all in john krasinski on the good old gather step well yeah i i think a couple of um they did look like travels to me uh yeah i i you know it it, there is a gather step, and there is kind of you know, the thing about it is is that Harden is a wizard with his footwork, and he's he has that reputation. So I do think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt from officials more often than not. Um, I do think he, yeah, there was at least one or two that did seem like a clear travel to me, and there were even ex referee NBA referees that were tweeting and breaking it down, saying yes, that's a travel. <laughs> I will say though that if you're locked in a series with James Harden and the Rockets, and you're expecting him to be called for traveling, uh, you're going to come away disappointed more often than not. It's just not something that you're going to see very often, whether it's justified or not. So you better find a different way to to combat him than you know yelling at the ref to call a travel call. Uh, John Krasinski from The Athletic. You can go to uh, theathletic.com slash Timberwolves to find all of his coverage from Houston. Uh, his his story about traveling to Houston is great stuff, so check it out. We'll talk soon. We'll see how long this series lasts, Johnny. See you, Johnny K. <laughs> all right, thanks, fellas. All right, Bye. Johnny K from The Athletic. Uh, let's come back, recap some of that, some really good stuff there. Some, I mean, it's it's going to be really fascinating to see. Is Tom Thibodeau, or this is this is the time to shine. I mean, this is he took Bulls teams that, with injuries that weren't supposed to compete with, with LeBron teams in the Heat. And some of those series wound up being like maybe five games, and uh, so there might be some revisionist history. But they were competitive, and they had LeBron teams on the ropes. And people—that's why Tom Thibodeau was so highly touted. Yeah. Well, this is another situation where it's an underdog. Can you? And I've got a gripe for you. All right, we'll do that, and also Lou Nanny at the top of the hour from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Hey, you know what time it is? Mackie and Judd are back. Stand to your duty. On 1500 ESPN. Want to win MLB The Show 18 just by listening to 1500 ESPN? Head to the stream player now for details featuring a huge roster of past legends and current superstars in Diamond Dynasty. Hit the field with legends of every era, including Babe Ruth. For those who crave the best of baseball, MLB The Show 18, welcome to the show, rated E for everyone. I gotta do my job uh, more effectively on the defensive end. I mean, what did, you, what did he want, a free throw, a three-pointer, a layup? He got whatever he wanted in that, in that game, and I gotta be better at, at taking that away from him. So here's my question for you. And it has nothing to do with uh, Butler necessarily and his defense on James Harden, Phil Mackey, but it's this. What Krasinski told us about uh, if Jeff Teague is the most truthful person on that team, and Jeff Teague is basically saying, hey, 
In game one, we partially did what we set out to do, which was get Cat free for potential three-point shots. Yeah. And then we didn't get him the ball. All right, here's my problem with Tibbs and coaching. And this is this is not Cat then. This is Tibbs. The premise of getting Cat outside to shoot threes is really good. It's a great game one. And and it's not that the Rockets were surprised, but it sort of flies a little bit in the, the, the face of what the Wolves might have done consistently. I think it's a great game one idea. All right, so you achieve it. You could have swung the ball to him in the corner several times. We, yeah. we saw that. To then not follow through with it and simply come back and say, we didn't get him the ball? You Game one was, if you were going to surprise Houston at all. Not giving the ball to your game, best player would have been a good, a nice yeah. way to surprise Houston. No, but I mean... Oh, it's shocking. They game, don't want to give the ball to Cat. But game, we're surprised. Game, game one, if you are the underdog, game one is the game where you can come in and do something that's a little bit different, and, and the Rockets then have, have to adjust to that. To go halfway, so you had him open, and now you're just saying simply, well, but we didn't follow through. Makes no sense to me. And and that comes back, this is why this comes back to coaching to me as much or more than player. Well, and I'll, I'll bring it out to, to 30,000 feet here. Whatever your offensive game plan is, if it involves Carl Anthony Towns getting nine shots, throw it out. I get that you're, tr- I get that you're trying to do some things, and, and, I, and I agree, like, Jeff Teague on Clint Capella is also a mismatch because now Jeff Teague, who is a little bit too ball-centric sometimes, but Jeff Teague had a good game. Jeff Teague almost had a triple-double in that game. He was very active. He can get to the rim. So if you think that isolating Jeff Teague on a big is going to be just an instant drive-by and he's going to get to the rim and if they close out, then you can kick it out. I mean, there's good things that can happen. Jeff Teague on a big or even like Andrew Wiggins on a big because he's he can drive. But you know he got stripped a couple. They've, they're onto his spin move. He got stripped a couple times with the spin move. Yeah. But so I, I understand those things, and you're trying to figure out it's a chess match, and how can we isolate Jeff Teague on a big, and how can we, you know, how can we do something over here? If at the end of the game plan and at the end of the day, your best offensive player and one of the most efficient offensive players in the NBA winds up with anything less than like 16 to 20 shots, scrap it and start over. That's what drives me nuts. But if- like it should start with how do we get. 20 good looks for Carl Anthony Towns, and the rest of it can fill itself in. But it sounds like your initial premise was a good one. You had a good idea, and then you didn't follow through. That's what I don't get. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, but there, I think two premises. One would be Carl Anthony Towns shooting threes more often, right? Like, but the yeah. other one is just if you've, if you've got, if t- Tibbs makes it sound like a black and white proposition. Well, we, you know, the game plan was to create mismatches, and we like Teague on a, on a big. Uh, so that was the mismatch we were trying to create. Right, but you also have your best offensive player and Chris Paul defending him. There's like a what there's like a foot difference between the two guys. So if you're not taking advantage of that as well, then crumple it up, light it on fire, throw it in the garbage, start over. So it's it's tough because yes, Tom Thibodeau is right. They almost beat the best team in basketball. In their house, they only lost by three points, and they could have. But they if did they all fo- these other, and things. they could have if they had followed through on their plan. That's what's yeah. frustrating, and that it's, was the game. There's a disconnect. That was the game where if you're going to catch a superior team, which Houston is by surprise, you do it then. Uh, yes, uh, news tweets in agreed on Cat getting the ball more, but can we also agree that Cat was really, really bad in game one? But he only took. He wasn't good, but he only took nine shots. Like, if he had scored eight, people are looking at eight points. He scored eight points, so it's a terrible game. 
Right. If he had scored eight points on 15 shots and went three of 15, that's a terrible game. Three of nine is a bad game, but three of nine is just getting warmed up in the second quarter. And the idea on three-pointers is exactly what they should have done. We'll see what happens in game two. See, that to me tonight. is where that to me is where it comes back to coaching. Yes. That's a coaching because the coaching had the right idea and then and then for the players not to follow through, that goes back to tips. BJ Armstrong is the agent for Derrick Rose. He also has a podcast now, a new podcast on Podcast One. He's he's Draymond Green's agent, and you remember him as the point guard for Bulls championship teams in the nineties with Jordan. He'll join us at eleven o'clock. And I'm not sure how much he's going to want to get into like X's and O's, but we can certainly ask him about, you know, Derrick Rose and Tom Thibodeau, and maybe he's got some some Bulls anecdotes we can dive into. Dan Hayes from Puerto Rico on Twins versus Indians at 11:30, and Lou Nanny coming up here in just a couple of minutes.